And Jesus said that there are, are two roads, and you are either on one or the other. And the question this morning is, which road are you on? Jesus said there is a wide road that leads to where? Say it again. The louder? Destruction. Yes. And there's a narrow road that leads to where? To eternal life. To life. To heaven. To the kingdom of God. Jesus said you're either on one road or the other. The question is this. How do you know that you're on the right road? How do you know if you're on the narrow road? How do you know if you're on the wide road? Popular culture has not made it easy for us as pastors. And by popular culture, I mean TV, movies, the media, that sort of thing. There's a lot of strange ideas out there. And much of it is directly from the movies and from TV. Uh, Has anybody ever heard of Jimmy Stewart and his movie that's played every Christmas? It's called... It's a Wonderful Life. Have you seen It's a Wonderful Life? How many know that this is not a theologically correct movie? How many know that when you die, you do not become an angel? Did you know that? Some of you are sitting here shocked, stunned. You you thought for sure you'd become an angel when you died. You don't. And how many know that every time a bell rings, an angel does not receive his wings? Did you know that today? I've been in the ministry for 30 years, and I have heard some astonishing things. Confusion. People just don't understand what's true and what's not true. When you die and go to heaven, you will not be spending time on a cloud somewhere strumming a harp. You understand that, right? And ladies, I'm sorry to break it to you, but when you get to heaven, you're not going to have some shirtless buff angel serving you Philadelphia cream cheese on bagels. It's just not going to happen. Craft wishes for that for you, but it ain't going to happen. Where does the... Where does the error come from? Well, the Pharisees were coming to Jesus with their questions, and Jesus rejected the premise of their question and said simply this. He says, you're in error because you don't know the Scriptures. You, 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 you're off base completely because you don't know what the Bible says. And that's exactly the way it is in our society, in our culture today. We have a generation of people who don't know what the Bible says. And to make it even worse, we have a generation of people who call themselves Christians that don't know what the Bible says. This video clip told us today that we have a guide. And folks, in case you didn't know what the guide is, this is it. We call it the Bible. The Bible is our guide for living. It's, or another way to put it, it's our road map. And if anybody knows, if you're going on a journey, you need a, you need a map. Because who knows where you're going to turn up? Who knows where you're going to show up? You need a map so that you can be certain, so that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're on the right track, that you're on the right road. 
Over the years, I've been in the ministry probably 30 years, if you include some of my years before going to Bible school, teaching Sunday school, etc. I have heard a lot of error. Um, how many have heard the maxim that God helps those who, helps themse- who help themselves? Have you heard that? How many know that's not in the Bible? Did you know that? May come as a shock to some of you. Because you've told people that very confidently. You just couldn't remember where the scripture verse was to support that. Well, it's not there. We're in error because we don't know what the Bible says. How many know that this building is just a building? It's not the church. And when people think that the building is the church, then we get into big error, big problems. Um, one, of the, one of the popular ideas or notions that was running through churches when I went into the ministry back in 1983, Matt, was that God wants everyone rich. Now, as uh, Tavia in Fiddler on the Roof said, if God's willing, so am I. <laughs> but that's just, not, that's just not the reality. The Bible doesn't say that God wants everyone rich. And the, and the other notion that went with that was that God wants Everyone healed and God will heal everybody. Again, it's not there. We find the Apostle Paul struggling with bad eyes. We find the Apostle Paul telling Timothy to have a a little bit of wine for medicinal purposes, for his stomach's sake. Not everyone's healed. Another, Another error that went through the church is that God has promised that everyone will have a carefree life, that you'll never have a problem, you'll never be persecuted, and never have struggles ever again. Again, if God is willing, <laughs> sign me up. But it's not, it's not in the Bible. In fact, Jesus said, if you follow me, you're going to be persecuted. And everyone said, oh. That sounded very depressing. Listen. Truth is not based on what seems right to you or what seems logical to you or what feels comfortable to you. It's not based on what you're hoping for or what you want. Truth stands apart from your experience and truth stands apart from your subjective understanding. You never, ever interpret truth according to your experience because if you do, you're going to get into big, big trouble. What you need is a guidebook. How many times have I thought, oh, that must be north, that must be south, that must be, that must be west. I'm all mixed up. I got it all wrong. Have you ever done that? And if someone was, was uh, going to take bets, you'd, you'd, you'd stake a lot on that because you're pretty sure you're right. But the fact of the matter is, is that so often we get it wrong. And so what do we do to make sure we don't get it wrong? What do, we, what do we do to make sure that we're on the right track, that we're on the narrow road, and we're going in the direction that we're supposed to be going? Folks, there is only one, one way, and it's by being familiar with this book. Now, as your pastor, I have, I have preached sermon after sermon, message after message, a reminder after reminder. I have I've had a read through the Bible in a year club, and I, we've done this several times. And I've done whatever I can to try to get you to open your book and, and see what it says. 
But the fact of the matter is, is that it's so much easier to play Call of Duty than it is to open your Bible. It's so much easier to re watch rewinds of Seinfeld than it is to open your Bible. It's so much, so much more fun to watch America's Got Talent. Eh, not sure about that one. But the fact of the matter is, it's so easy to push it aside. And the Bible's clear that you fall into error when you don't know what this book says. Now, I've, I've, heard, I've heard sermons on the radio. I've had sermons people give me. I've read books. And I read this stuff and listen to this stuff, and I think to myself, how on earth can these teachers be teaching this stuff? How can they be preaching this stuff? And the only solution that I can come up with is that they don't know what the Bible says. So this morning, once again, I want to remind you and encourage you to get back into your guidebook to make sure that you're on the straight and narrow, to make sure that you're going in the direction that you need to go in. So what does the Bible say? Well, in his letter to his protege, Timothy, the Apostle Paul says this. Let's read this together. Can you read it with me? You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. Just stop there for a moment. By the way, in case anybody's wondering why we have boot camp and why we have We College, which is happening right now in the building over across the street and in this wing, it's because this is our example. Timothy, from, being, from just early childhood, was being taught the Scriptures by his mother and his grandmother. Well, let's read on. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. Read it with me. And there's nothing like the written Word of God for showing you the way to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that if you're going to get on the right track, then what you need is you need the Word of God to help you get on the right track, to get onto the narrow road. The Bible teaches you how to inherit eternal life. The Word of God teaches you how to become part of and stay part of the kingdom of God. And it says it's through, it's through salvation, through, the, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, you may have heard it said that all roads lead to God, but the Bible would differ with you. You may have heard that all religions lead to God, but the Bible says, no, it's, that's not true. In fact, Paul uh, or, or, or Luke, in writing the, uh, in Acts, he records the words of the apostles when they were out preaching the gospel. Listen to what it says in Acts 4.12. There is no way to be saved from the punishment of sin through anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved. There's no footnote at the bottom that says, unless you are Asian or unless you are, are South American or unless you are, are uh, Aboriginal, it doesn't say, there's, no, there's no footnote. There's no... clause that lets everyone, everyone or anyone off the hook. Jesus says there's no name. The Bible says there's no name. Under heaven. What do you think that means, under heaven? No name on earth. There is no other name given to men by which we can be saved. Mark mentioned uh, Christmas is coming up. Does anybody remember why we celebrate Christmas? Can I remind you? 
Matthew 1.21 says this, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Folks, that's why we celebrate Christmas. Does this look anything like the Christmas that's celebrated today? She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. And by the way, you know what Jesus means? It means Savior. That's what it literally translates out as. Give the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Folks, this is how you get on the right track. And Paul points out to Timothy that the way that he got on the right track was by discovering in the word of God that salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, can I just remind everybody that I said faith in Jesus Christ? I didn't say good works. Some people are under the false impression that when they stand before God someday, God's going to have a mighty scale in the sky, and on the one side, he's going to put your good deeds, and on the other side, he's going to put your bad deeds, and whatever weighs in heavier is what will determine whether you go to heaven or hell or not. And wrong answer. It doesn't matter how good you are. What matters is did you put your faith in Jesus Christ? This is the truth. I was uh, looking, uh, as I was researching for this morning, I found this interesting uh, slide. Let's take a look at that. And um, this person, fancy, whoever came up with this, fancies themselves a bit of a philosopher, and, and this is what this person is saying. He's saying, there are good Christians and evil Christians. Now, can you see the examples of the good Christian and the evil Christian? The good Christian is Martin Luther King, Jr., and who is the evil Christian? Hitler! Does anybody know that there's no such thing as a good Christian and an evil Christian? Does anybody realize that? So I'm not going to even accept this premise. It's a false premise. It's, it's not true. But it seems true. And you read this and you think, oh wow, I'm going to start to panic because it seems logical and therefore it must be true. It's false. And if you knew what your Bible said, this sort of thing wouldn't make you panic. Some of you are in a university. Some of you have got friends who are very skeptical about Christian, Christianity and about your faith. Folks, you don't have to panic. Christianity has been rolling along just fine for 2,000 years. And no one has shaken it loose yet. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Folks, you don't have to panic. You're standing on solid ground. Your faith is rock solid. It's a false premise. There's no such thing as good Christians and even evil Christians. They're just Christians. They're those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. And the way that we know that you put your faith in Jesus Christ is by your actions, by the way that you live. Adolf Hitler, by his actions, is by definition not a Christian. Well, this person goes on very cleverly and says there's good Muslims and evil Muslims. Really? If you asked an e- a-, a Muslim in the Middle East what they thought of Osama bin Laden, they would likely say he was, a- he was the good one. And actually, if you listen to his argument, it has merit. Oh, don't anybody stone me now. Osama bin Laden, his... His complaint with the West is that we have become very, very evil. 
And in many ways, he's right. We're greedy. We're capitalists. We are self-centered. Most of the pornography that is being generated in the world today comes right out of North America. The so-called Christian continent out of the USA, the Christian country. And Osama bin Laden says, we've got to punish these Americans for their evil. Does that make him good? What about Malcolm X? He's considered to be a good Muslim, even though he was anti-Semitic. Anti-Semitic means hated Jews. Uh, he was racist. Uh, he was violent. We've got a real problem here, folks. How do you deal with this? How do you reconcile this? You're, you're, you'll, spend, you'll spend decades debating this one, and you're not going to get anywhere with it because the, the fact of the matter is is that there's only one way to, one way to the Father. There's only one name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Look at this next slide. Alternatively, and you've heard this debate, alternatively, there are ethical people who live without religion and there's evil people who live without religion. There are ethical people who live with religion and evil people live without religion. The evil person living without religion is Joseph Stalin. And the good person who lives without God but is ethical is Bill Gates. Now, you look at that and you think, well, Pastor, who do you think you are to say that Bill Gates is going to hell? Well, first of all, I'm not saying he's going to hell because I don't know the state of his spiritual life, but I do know this. Is that Jesus says there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. You say, but what about all the good that he does? Well, how good... Here's the, here's the problem with that debate, or with that argument. How good do you have to be? How good do you have to be before you're good enough? to go to heaven. And if Bill Gates' goodness is what's going to get him into heaven, then you could say, well, that's not fair because he's got a lot of money that, that allows him to have time to go and do good. So now we've got a real big problem on our hands. So only the rich people who can do good can get to heaven. The poor people who haven't got the time or the money to do the amount of good deeds that Bill Gates does, are therefore consigned to hell. Well, you see the problem with this argument. Jesus comes along and says, folks, listen to me. There's no amount of good that you can do to get you into heaven. In fact, the Bible says that all your good deeds are like filthy rags. The Bible says that We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And here's a real shocker for you. If Adolf Hitler, with all the evil that he did, repented before he died and asked Jesus to come into his life, folks, he would go to heaven. Why? Because the Bible says it's by faith that you're saved. Not of yourself, lest anyone of us may boast that we got into heaven because we're so good. 
You make it to heaven, folks. You, you, you go down that narrow road. You make it to eternity. You get on track by putting your faith in the work that Jesus Christ did. So here's the thing. When God looks at Nathan, he doesn't see Nathan. Who does he see? He sees Jesus. Why? Because Nathan put his faith in Jesus. When God looks at you, Jeff, didn't see you. Aren't you glad? Who does he see, Jeff? He sees Jesus. Why? Because you put your faith in him. When God looks at Alan Duncalf, he didn't see Alan Duncalf. He sees Jesus. And I say, well, phew, same as you. We're in the same boat, bud. We're making it to heaven because we put our faith in Christ. And by faith, we're with all our heart trying to do what Jesus said. That's how you get on the right track. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul is saying to Timothy. You're on the right track because as a child you discovered that the way to salvation is through faith in Jesus Christ. That's what gets you onto the narrow track. Now, now here's the problem with all of us because many of us have started out at some point in our life on the narrow track, on the narrow road. But somewhere along the the line we got off track. We got off the road. Maybe that's you today. You've been on the narrow road, but you've somehow got off track. I want to talk, tell you how you can stay on track. Look what it says here in this next verse, verse 16. Would you read that with me? Every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, and training us to live God's way. How do I stand track? Well, the Bible says that I need a good dose of the Word of God on a regular basis. In fact, that's why the Bible calls it daily bread. You have to feed on this every day. We read it in the, in the Torah, the man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? But by every word that proceeds or comes out of the mouth of God. This is what you need to feed on. That's how you stay on track. That's how you stay healthy. That's how you don't end up in error. That's how you don't fall short. So Paul says when you, when you have the scripture, which is God-breathed, anybody know what God-breathed means? Another word for God-breathed? Inspired? When you live by this God-breathed, inspired word, the first thing it does is it shows you truth. When I was first, first graduated from Bible school, I heard about four Pentecostal guys who uh, were looking for something more. They weren't content with Christianity as is. They weren't content with what they had learned growing up. And so they started searching. And uh, rather than looking to the Word of God, you know what they started doing? They started looking to the traditions of other churches and seeing what other churches were all about and reading the writings of the fathers or the leaders of these other Christian traditions. And they finally settled on one, uh, the Greek Orthodox Church, as a matter of fact. And somehow they began to compromise what they had learned as children. And this, folks, listen, this always happens whenever you don't go to the Word of God first. And somehow they were able to justify praying to Mary and praying to the saints and looking to Mary and the saints as a mediator 
even though the Bible says very clearly that Jesus is our only mediator between uh, us and God. But you see, they were looking to wrong sources. They weren't looking to the Word of God first, and they fell into error. They finally made up their minds that they were no longer going to be Pentecostal pastors, but they were going to become Orthodox priests. And the Orthodox priest that had sort of helped them down this road said, it's time for us to celebrate. And you know what they did to celebrate? He broke open a box of cigars and everybody sat around smoking a cigar, celebrating. Leaving Pentecostal heritage behind to embrace Greek Orthodoxy. Now, if there's anybody Greek Orthodox here today, I'm not suggesting that that's a popular or a regular occurrence. But it happened in this case. Error. Error enters into your life. You get off track when you don't know what the Word of God says and when you don't judge your actions by what the Word says. The Word of God is useful for showing us truth and, conversely, showing us error. It's useful for exposing our rebellion. Look at that person beside you. Do they look rebellious to you? Some of you are looking at your kids. That's not fair. That's, that's, that's not fair. That's not fair. Listen, you and I inherited the nature of our forefathers, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were by nature rebellious. Now, can I just tell you something here this morning? It was not just that they made a mistake. They, they didn't fall into sin because they made a mistake. Don't anybody believe that nonsense? They fell into error because they made a decision. They made a choice that they were not going to do what God says. That is what rebellion is. In fact, the definition of rebellion is that you go against authority, act or show defiance toward an authority. That's exactly what Adam and Eve did. They made a choice to disobey God. Now, here's the thing. You say, well, pastor, I'm not rebellious. I've been a Christian for years. Guess what? You and I, by nature, are, in fact, rebellious. I know that because I am. And my kids are like, really? <laughs> They're not here, so I can say this. <laughs> yeah, I am, by nature, rebellious. And I just have to pick up this book and start to read. And the Spirit of God just, boom, shows me those areas in my life where I am living in, in disobedience or defiance of what God wants me to do or have an attitude that is in defiance of what God wants me to do or be. By nature, we are rebellious. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. We refuse to do what... God says, and we find ourselves holding unforgiveness in our hearts. We find ourselves failing to be generous, failing to give. We find ourselves unwilling to serve. We'd rather be served than be waited on. We find ourselves being selfish, self-centered. Folks, this is all rebellion. This goes against the orders of God. Paul goes on to say, that the Word of God is useful for correcting our mistakes. Have you read uh, Corinthians recently, First and Second Corinthians? I mean, I'm telling you, that, those letters that Paul wrote, First and Second Corinthians, they could be 
they could have been written just yesterday to the churches in North America. I mean, in, in those, that church in Corinth, they were relatively new Christians. And they, they hadn't read the scriptures yet. They didn't know it all yet. But guess what? I mean, there was incest. People, there were Christians who, people calling themselves Christians who were practicing incest. There was fornication, all sorts of immorality, drunkards, lying, cheating, all sorts of things. And Paul's got to write these letters, not one but two, just letting them have it. Getting them sorted out because they were making all kinds of horrible, ungodly, wicked mistakes. I want to just share with you some of what the Apostle Paul says. He addresses the issue of fornication, of sexual immorality. Can I remind everybody what fornication is, in case we have anybody here that's not sure? Fornication, by definition, right from the dictionary, sexual intercourse between persons not married to each other. That's fornication. I have a lot of people come to me and say, Pastor, will you marry us? I say, are you living together? Yeah. It goes against the law of God, the word of God. You're breaking God's will. Oh, but surely that doesn't apply to us. Really? If it's not to you, then who? I don't want anybody going out of this place unsure what fornication is. It's a sin. It goes against the word of God. And it's having sexual relationships outside of marriage. Paul goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 6.10. He says, those who steal or those who always want to get more of everything, we call that greed, or who get drunk, or who say bad things about others, we call that slander, gossip or take things that are not theirs, they'll have no place in the holy nation of God. They'll have no place in the kingdom of God. Paul is saying very clearly, if you, are a dr- if you, if you're a, if you get drunk, that's what it says, if you get drunk. If you're, if you're abusing substances, if you're an addict, big problems here. Big, big problems according to the word of God. It's not me. I'm not, I'm not standing up here judging you people. I'm, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Don't get angry with me, but rather humble your heart before God. Repent, the Bible says, and turn from your wicked ways. If you're slandering people, if you're greedy, if you're stealing, if you're getting drunk, if you're saying bad things about others, you're not on the narrow road, according to Paul. You're on the wide road, which leads to destruction or according to the, the version of the scripture I used last week, you're going to hell. That's what it says. Pastor, you're being very offensive this morning, and I don't like it. Just doing my job. Paul says very clearly there's no heaven for those who steal, who are greedy, who get drunk, who slander and cheat. There's no heaven for you. As you can tell, I'm trying to make this very clear. There's no gray area here. I'm not, I'm not allowing room for discussion on the subject. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. I'm telling you what the Apostle Paul told the church in Corinth nearly 2,000 years ago. And Paul goes 
one step further, and this might shock many of you today, and you need to hear this. You really have got to get this. If you want to have a vibrant, healthy Christianity, who wants to have a vibrant, healthy Christianity today? Some of you do. That's good. I'm hoping those who didn't put up their hands mean it in your heart. This is going to shock you. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians 5.11. He says, But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Paul says, do not even eat with such people. Now, is there any question about what that means? Does anybody not understand that? Tell me now so that I can make it straight because I want to stand before God knowing that I have discharged my responsibility. Do you get this? Do you get it? Do not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister, who claims to be a Christian, but is sexually immoral, fornicating, or greedy, an idolater, or a slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Is there any question there? Do you get this? Someone said, what about families? That's a good question. That's a real good question, because here's where a lot of people struggle. First of all, I've got to remind you of something. When you became a Christian, you became part of a new family. You became a part of a brand new family. We call it the eternal family, the family of God. I'm not saying hate these, your, your family who's not following God. I'm not saying reject them. I'm saying you need to love them, but these are not the people you're to associate with. These are not the people that you hang out with. These are not the people you spend time with. Why? Because the Bible is clear that whoever you hang out with, those are the people you become like. You become like those people you hang out with. You just separate yourself from them. Not judging them, not condemning them, not being obnoxious about it, but just simply saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. And there's no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. You say, Pastor, who can live this, this kind of Christianity? No one. No one except those by whom the Holy Spirit enables. The apostles listened to the hard teaching of Jesus, and they said, Jesus, who on earth can be saved? Only those whom God enables. This morning, Jesus is calling you to a radical Christianity to make sure you're on that narrow road. Here, the fact of the matter is, is that a lot of people claim to be Christian. Adolf Hitler claimed to be a Christian. We know he was not. Why? Is there being judgmental? No. We know his actions didn't match his profession. A lot of people claim to be Christians, but the fact of the matter is, according to Jesus, that there's just a few that find the narrow way. It's not for everybody. And we know it's for you if you're on that road. Am I standing up here judging and condemning? I am not, people. I'm telling you the truth. 
I'm telling you what you need to hear. If you were on an airplane and it was on a collision course, tell me, what would you want to hear me do? Would you want me as your, as your steward? I was going to say stewardess, but I haven't got the legs for that. <laughs> as your steward, would you want me to say, would you like coffee or tea, or would you like Sprite or Coke? Would you like to see a movie right now? Would you like some headphones? See the airplane. It's on a, it's on a collision course. It's just a matter of, of maybe minutes, maybe seconds. What would you want to hear from me? You'd want to hear me say, here's the life vest. Here's how to put it on. Put yourself in a crash position. You want to hear the ways to be saved, not the ways to be made comfortable. That's my job, is to teach you the way you can be saved. To teach you the way to stay on that narrow road that leads to eternal life. Paul says that the word of God is useful for training us to live God's way. To live God's way. I had a talk with a young man this past week, and he was telling me about something in his life. I'm not going to mention names, but I know he won't mind if it helps you, talking about something that he had done that was against the Word of God, against the Scriptures. He talked about how he had lied. And I said, well, first of all, Jesus wouldn't do that. It's not right. He said, really? No, really. That's what the Bible says. Thou shalt not... Say it. Thou shalt not... You're not sure about this, are you? It's one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. Now listen to this. Listen to this. He's not the only one. We all fail. We all fumble the ball. We all make mistakes. We all get off track. We all get it wrong when we don't know what the Bible says. He's not the only one. I'm guilty too. I just want to close with this. I... When we were in Africa, I had somebody ask, tell me about a mother who had rejected her kids and gave them up for adoption. Kids didn't have the benefit of a mother all their lives. And then when she turned about 70, 71, she decided that she couldn't take care of herself anymore. So you know what she did? She called on her kids and said, I want you to support me now that I'm old. And the kid said, huh? And the mom said, you heard me. I want you to support me. And the kid said, not a chance. No way. You're not getting a nickel. You're not getting a dime. You're not getting a penny from us. You rejected us when we were little. It's over. The mother went on to sue her kids so that they would support her. And then the person telling the story turned to me and said, Pastor Allen, what do you think? Well, I said, I'll tell you what I think. I think, no way does that woman deserve a nickel, a penny from her kids. But that's only what I think. I'm going to tell you right now, what I think doesn't matter. And before you get uppity, what you think doesn't matter either. My, I'm very opinionated. How many know that? Don't get so... <laughs> Listen, my opinion means nothing. 
and your opinion means nothing. What matters is what does God say? And what does God say in a situation like that? The Bible says, first of all, forgive. Forgive those who've used you, taken advantage of you, who've hurt you. You've got to forgive them. The other thing the Bible says is that you should honor your father and your mother. And so I said, those kids should support their mother. That would be the right thing to do, even though she doesn't deserve it. Oh, are you sure, Pastor, this doesn't sound right? Look, it's not my opinion. My opinion is that, no, she doesn't deserve it. But the Bible says she should be supported and loved. Because the Bible says, honor your father and your mother. And guess what, folks? Out of all the Ten Commandments, it's the one commandment that comes with a promise. And the promise is this, that if you would honor your father and mother, God would bless you and all would go well. So guess what, folks? It's not about the mother. It's not about the kids. It's about what does God say. And so listen to me. Every decision you make has got to be based on what the Bible says, not on your opinion or anybody else's opinion. There is no pastor on the face of this earth who has an opinion that is greater than what it says in this book. It's the Word of God that determines whether you're on track or off track. I'm going to tell you this. As a pastor who's been serving God for over 40 years, as someone who's been doing ministry for 30 years, I can tell you this. And as someone who's been reading the Bible for years, I can tell you this. I need the Bible today as much and probably even more than I've ever needed it in my life. Am I prone to rebel? You bet it. You bet. Am I prone to get it wrong? You bet. Do I make mistakes? Ask my kids. Ask my wife. Ask my close friends. Ask the staff. Oh, yeah, I make mistakes. Now, here's the thing. If I, who am paid to be good, get it wrong so often, how much more will you, who are good for nothing, get it wrong as well? Folks, you and I, need the Word of God if we're going to stay on that narrow road that few find. You and I need the Word of God if you want to see Jesus someday. And you need to know that Word. You need to study that Word. You need to know it forward and backward. And you're sitting here this morning saying, I don't know what to read. Every time I open the Bible, it doesn't make sense. Is that you this morning? That's a flimsy excuse. If you want to know where to start, First of all, start with a translation you can understand. Get the message. By the way, that's what this passage of Scripture is in. It's in the message with the New Living Translation. Something simple. I start reading the letters that Paul wrote. First and Second Corinthians, Romans. Read Acts. Read Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. First and Second Timothy, First and Second Thessalonians. Read them. And the Spirit of God will speak to you and show you the error in your ways, the error in your life, it'll, it will be a spotlight on your heart, exposing your rebellion, showing you the truth, correcting your mistakes, and training you to live God's way.
Would you stand with me, please?